Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Shabbat Shalom. A couple weeks ago, I read a terrifying opinion piece in the Washington Post entitled, American Jews Start to Think the Unthinkable. The author was discussing the rise in anti-Semitism and shared that his rabbi, on Kol Nidre, stopped in the middle of his sermon and posed a question apparently not in his prepared text. The question the rabbi stopped his sermon to ask was, how many of you have wondered where you would go if we had to leave this country? It is my fervent prayer and hope that this article and his rabbi's question are deeply in the realm of the hypothetical. But we all know that it was not too far in the past when Jews had to ask themselves that horrifying question. Many of our ancestors asked themselves that question as they sought to leave Eastern Europe. And today around the world, Jews must flee countries that are no longer hospitable to our people. Of course, the experience of asking oneself and one's family, where will we go, is not unique to Jews. In just the past couple of years, Afghans and Ukrainians, Jewish and not Jewish, have had to make the awful decision to pick up, leave their homes, leave everything they knew behind, and run for their lives. In their hasty exit, they had no idea if they would ever again see their homes, their workplaces, their schools, their community centers, their houses of worship, all the places that hold special and sentimental memories for them. Worst of all, if they left family members behind, They had no idea if they would ever see them again either. Despite these anxieties, they could not hesitate. They could not look back. They had to look forward. The Torah contains many stories of people having to leave their homes and move forward with their journeys. Just last week, we read the story of Abraham being told to leave his home, his birthplace, leave his family behind, and set out on a journey that would become the beginning of the Jewish people. And this week, we read of another necessary journey, that of Lot and his family from Sodom. God decides to destroy the evil city of Sodom, but Lot, who is Abraham's nephew, and his family are to be saved. Two angels show up and instruct Lot, his wife, their four daughters and two sons-in-law that they are to leave and not look back. The married daughters and sons-in-law don't take the angel's warning seriously, but Lot, his wife, and the two unmarried daughters flee for their lives. On the way out of town, Lot's wife looks back. As punishment, she immediately turns into a pillar of salt. The Torah text doesn't provide the details that we as readers are so desperate to know. 
Why did she turn back? What was she looking at? Did she forget about the angel's warning not to look back? Or was something so pressing that she ignored it? And we know that she did something wrong because she received this punishment, but can't we identify with her on a human level? Was it really so terrible for her to look back? The biblical commentators provide many possible answers to our questions, most quite unfavorable to Lot's wife. A common answer is that she looked back out of a bit of curiosity. Perhaps she wanted to know which of her evil neighbors would be destroyed first and in what manner the city would be consumed. This interpretation assumes a lack of empathy in Lot's wife, but of course we know that this sense of curiosity is a normal human instinct, one that we are supposed to try our best to curb. Another answer to the question of why she looked back is that she just couldn't bear to leave her life of immorality behind. Perhaps deep down, she loved the wicked ways of Sodom and she wasn't altogether enthusiastic about leaving those wicked ways behind in favor of a more ethical future. These commentators cleverly note that her punishment was becoming salt, a literal preservative of that which might otherwise be past its prime. Perhaps she was too willing to preserve the past instead of looking ahead. One of the most understandable and relatable explanations for Lot's wife's looking back comes from 13th century biblical commentator Radak. She did not have full faith in God that she and her family would actually be saved. Radak notes this possibility with disdain, especially as we compare her to figures like Abraham who were lauded for their absolute faith in God. But we can certainly understand her hesitation. If God hasn't saved me from the wickedness of this city up until this point, why should I trust that it will happen now? All these rationales for Lot's wife's turning back assume bad qualities in her, lack of empathy, reluctance to leave immorality in the past, and lack of faith. And it makes sense that the commentators would be mostly unkind to her. An angel came to save her from certain death and gave her one simple instruction, do not look back, and she proved unable to follow it. In the Torah, there's often much that we don't know. We read between the lines and interpret the little grammatical oddities, the turns of phrase, and the minute details of each story. But sometimes the simplest explanation is the best one. The explanation that every single person who left Ukraine or Afghanistan or any other country could tell us, she was sad. Not sad to leave the immorality behind. She may have been sad to leave the physical place behind, but most of all, she was sad because of who she left behind. Though two of her daughters came with her and Lot and left Sodom, her other two daughters and sons-in-law stayed behind. They didn't feel that the warning was serious enough for them to leave. 
Maimonides tells us that Lot's wife looked back out of utter devastation that she had to leave her children behind. Who among us would not turn back to see our beloved family members, especially one's children, even from afar, one last time before running for one's life? One of my classmates from rabbinical school, Rabbi Irina Gritsevskaya, who herself left the Soviet Union as a teenager, shared a poem about Lot's wife written by a Russian poet born in Kiev. Here's the poem translated into English. And the just man trailed God's shining agent over a black mountain in his giant track, while a restless voice kept harrying his woman. It's not too late. You can still look back at the red towers of your native Sodom, the square where you once sang, the spinning shed, at the empty windows set in the tall house where sons and daughters blessed your marriage bed. A single glance, a sudden dart of pain, stitching her eyes before she made a sound, her body flaked into transparent salt and her swift legs rooted to the ground. Who will grieve for this woman? Does she not seem too insignificant for our concern? Yet in my heart, I will never deny her who suffered death because she chose to turn. We can hear the sadness, the grieving of a person who must leave their homeland. Thank God, most of us cannot possibly imagine what that would feel like, but we can hear the heartbreak in the poem. With the knowledge that Lot's wife looked back out of sadness at the place and especially the loved ones she was leaving behind, we can turn to the other question. The question the text does not leave room for us to ask. Was it really so terrible that she looked back? Rabbi Eli Garfinkel, author of the JPS Torah Commentary, wrote in his blog this week, there are two kinds of people. Those who can somehow manage to survive and eventually thrive in the face of trauma, and those who fall apart beyond all hope of repair. The difference between these two types of people is not one of bravery or courage. Rather, those who go on to thrive after trauma are typically those who can look back at their painful past and find meaning hidden in it, a reason to keep going. In my admittedly non-medical opinion, those who cannot bear to look back or who see only emptiness when they do so are less likely to heal. Though Rabbi Garfinkel admits that his opinion is not medical, medical experts do agree with him. Psychologists say that after a traumatic event or series of events, people either experience post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic growth. And it depends on whether they reflect and learn from the experience. Recounting trauma in order to learn from it is a terribly painful process. But the end result, experts agree, is far better than pretending the trauma never happened in the first place. Perhaps for Lot's wife, looking back at Sodom as she fled was the beginning of her processing the traumatic experience. She never had the opportunity, the painful opportunity, to continue that reflection just as we will never know the truth behind her quick glance back. 
But we do know that our, in our, our own lives, looking back can be an enormously helpful tool. We do have to keep our eyes looking forward. But when we try too hard to only look forward, never examining the past, never opening ourselves up to the possibility of learning from the past, even when it's painful, we close ourselves to learning, growth, and ultimately healing. To look forward fully, we must also be willing to take the risk of looking back. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul.